And he loves if you were here that. at Christmas, you would get that joke. If you weren't yes, little Joey from your Christmas. Salvations yes. in question. In just a moment, we're going to invite our offering team to come through the room this morning. As always, we thank you so much for everything that you're able to contribute financially at Grace Life. You literally help us keep the lights on. Not in here. Pam and Les pay this bill. Yeah, exactly. But like over with Jen and the kids at the Nightlife Center, uh, you put thousands of meals in people's bellies through our food pantry. We support Grace Life Recovery. We have a wonderful mercy ministry that can step in and help our brothers and sisters when they're available. But so thank you for everything that you give. It is extraordinarily generous. It is. It is. It is. And so how many of you are aware that Joe has our pastor... Who knew that he had one book that he published called The Grace Life? Everybody should be raising their hand at this point. Then ask him how many of them paid full price for that one. How many of you all paid full price for that? The why rest is, of you. Why is it Slater raising his hand? He paid you, double, actually. He paid double, that's he right. So we have a, I'm so proud of our pastor that he got a book published. We have a second book uh, that is now going to be credited to his name. It's The Grace Life Part 2. This time it's personal. No, that's not. That's not the book. Do you like the Grace Life Part Two? It's a book on Psalm 119, growing to love God's word. I'm very excited about it. It's probably going to launch on Friday. It's a very different style book than the Grace Life, and um, I hope it blesses you. And I hope you pay full price for it. So, so. it's. <laughs> Speaking of contributing, yeah. but it's based on the series that you did with us for about eight or nine months, right? On Psalm 119. No, it was eight it or is, nine It months. was eight or nine months. Why yeah. are we laughing? It was and, really eight or nine months. And that, that is what it's based on, yep. but it takes a whole different twist on it. And I really rely heavily on my journal entries from when I was going through Psalm 119 okay. when I was in my mid-20s. So it's very vulnerable and personal, but uh, I hope it can inspire people to uh, really fall in love with God's Word. Fall in love with through God's diligent Word. Inquiry. It starts out, I trust in Word. Trust in the word. Thanks. All right, you're welcome. Couple, uh, what are you doing? Am I supposed to do those or are you doing them? You can do them. Oh, I don't want to do them. I don't ever want Okay, so, um, well, then a couple announcements are on this sheet. And then (laughs) next week we're doing Lord's Table. Uh, So we do it. It'll be the first one for 2020. So I'm excited about that. Make sure you're here for next week. When we do the Lord's Table at Grace Life, uh, what I don't want to have happen, what used to happen to me at other churches is I would walk in and I'd be surprised. Oh, Lord's Table today. I'd rather have it a situation where you know it's coming and you come anticipating it. So when we do it, we kind of make a big deal out of it. We announce it a couple weeks ahead of time. So we're going to be doing it next week. It fits well with the message that we're continuing with in Mark chapter 4. So uh, just make sure you're here for that next week. Um, And Mike, I'm going to give you a little job early on. I've got a little cough. So when you see me cough, I'm going to go, and you'll know to mute it. Good job. That was excellent. That was a test. All right, we're going to start with our uh, sermon, uh, uh, start with the sermon this morning. This is uh, week 17 uh, on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, I've titled it Mark the Evangelist. If you're not following him on Twitter, you need to. He does a good job during the week of telling you what's going to happen. This is week 17. This is Ears to Hear Part 2. It's part two of last week's message. And I have another alternative title for this message. It's called Soil anxiety. Soil anxiety. All right, so let me just explain this. It's, it's really hard to express to you personally the burden that I feel with the responsibility of teaching truths that are like the one in today's parable. These are important concepts, and I know many won't see it as very exciting, <clears throat> And I worry about that, frankly, because sometimes when I'm going through 
these messages, my first thought is, how do I make this compelling? <clears throat> how do I make it so people will pay attention? And how do I make it emotional? How would I reach in and touch their hearts? And <clears throat> I'll be honest with you. Sometimes it would just be a lot easier for me if I could just avoid tough passages. <laughs> just skip right over them. But the problem is that Grace Life, we're known because of the fact that we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So if I skip over something, you're going to know something's up. <laughs> Why did you skip that one? Oh, well, you know, I didn't see it. <laughs> but that's what one of today's messages is like. <clears throat> so question, have you ever experienced in your life, in your walk with Jesus, some anxiety over this God's kingdom thing? Some of you expressed to me that you had some anxiety during the sermon last week. And so there's two ways I think that people have anxiety when it comes to the gospel <clears throat> and the kingdom of God. The first area of anxiety is, wait, am I part of it? I mean, that can be kind of nerve-wracking. Am I in the kingdom? Because the stakes are pretty high if I'm not. And the second area is, how do I get other people into it? Am I doing enough to get other people into the kingdom? And so those are two areas of anxiety that are associated with the kingdom of heaven. And I remember as a young preacher... <clears throat> starting off as a Baptist, don't hold that against me. I remember as a young preacher hearing and reading stories of people that were quote-unquote great soul winners. People that, I guess, they were associated with this somehow special gift of selling Jesus to people, to imperiled souls, and they were able to, by some tremendous skill set, convince them to make a decision that would save their souls. I, as a young preacher, heard about these great soul winners. And I said, well, I want to be a great soul winner. Who wouldn't, right? But early on, I would feel like a complete failure if a sermon didn't end with people making decisions. And a lot of people. I wanted a good response rate, because if you're a good soul winner, you got a good response rate. And so like today, what I just shared with you, <clears throat> I felt back then a need to sharpen my message, get that higher response rate. Maybe I needed to be more humorous, give more anecdotes, and maybe some cool pictures, some cool different things like that. And somehow I felt like my job as a preacher, as a soul winner, was this. I need to figure out a way to outsmart you sinners. <laughs> I need to figure out some way to present the gospel that makes Jesus compelling and comforting and familiar and relevant and welcoming to such a degree that you have no choice but to come down the aisle and trust Jesus. Let's go to the passage today. <clears throat> this is Jesus explaining the parable of the seed and the sower in a smaller group to his disciples in Mark chapter 4, 14 to 20. <clears throat> the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, <clears throat> but they have no root in themselves. And they endure for a while, but then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, in other words, when faith in Jesus gets a little difficult, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, 
But the cares or distractions of the world and other deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So let's look at the history of this passage. I want to talk about what Jesus does here. He explains the soils. He had given this foundational, comprehensive lesson on how the kingdom of heaven grows, and most in the crowd didn't understand it. We talked about that last week. Disciples don't really like what they're hearing. Wait, you mean not the whole crowd is going to come? I thought we wanted a big crowd, Jesus. (laughs) Disciples think the message is about Jesus as Messiah to restore Israel. National revival, restoration of the kingdom of David. Hence, they see this massive crowd that Jesus is preaching to from the boat that we saw in the first part of this sermon last week. They see this massive crowd as a wonderful, glorious thing. And they look at that crowd and they think, wow, look at this crowd. This is it. This is the kingdom. But Jesus lays a parable on them that is about to transform their paradigm about the kingdom of heaven. And he lays it out. Listen, I want you to understand, the seed is the gospel, the kingdom. Preached to all people, like the massive crowd that was there, and it's preached how? By humans. This is how God has chosen to involve his church in the process of building out his kingdom. It's the privilege he has given us in Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have not heard? And how are they not to hear without someone preaching? That's the seed being sown. And then he talks about the people that are along the path. People that with absolutely no interest in the kingdom. The seed is sown, I don't care. It says Satan comes and steals the seed. They're either indifferent to the gospel, maybe even hostile to it, to the seed of the kingdom. And they will always be content with life without Jesus. That's the first soil, people along the path. Then he explains the people on the rocky ground. They're interested. They even appear to embrace it. They're excited about it. They may even cry when they pray. But they don't follow Jesus. They respond enthusiastically to Christ only to renounce him or to turn their back on him when persecution heats up, when life gets difficult. They are Christian-ish, if you will. They like the idea of Jesus taking away their sins, but it's merely a bumper sticker kind of Jesus for them. There's no depth, there's no roots, there's no transformation. It's more of a fashion statement. It's an outward experience, not an inward transformation, if you follow. What they're doing, actually, is they're following Jesus to get something, to satisfy curiosity. And they're good at staying in earshot of the seeds of the kingdom, but they don't really embrace them. Then there's the ones that are among the thorns. They hear the word, but they love the world more than God. That could be their family. That could be their possessions. That could be their job. That could be their cars. They are distracted by the world, not just the shiny things. Sometimes it's good things. There's nothing wrong with these things. 
but they distract them. The kingdom becomes secondary to all their other idols like family, like power, like prestige, like fame, like fortune. People in rocky ground and thorns made a choice, but their choice doesn't save them. And all of their hope is in their decision, this decisional regeneration. I see the word and I've responded to it, but now what's going on? That's the people on both the rocky and the thorny soil. But then he talks about the people in good soil. <clears throat> These are people that Jesus says, hear the word. They accept it like the other two. And they follow Jesus. And they bear much fruit. This group is much smaller than the disciples think. It's much smaller than the disciples want it to be. And many in the crowds... They are impressed with this crowd that they love. Many in that crowd aren't in this type of soil. Matter of fact, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 14, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Like I was telling you guys, a few of you, Jesus says mean things sometimes. You mean not everybody? Well, not according to Jesus. See, their transformation in the good soil isn't based upon a decision. It isn't based upon a choice. It's based upon a supernatural work of Jesus that we'll look at later. It is possible that this whole explanation of the parable is a severe big ego blow to the disciples at this point. Who knew early on that they were just absolutely digging the huge crowds? So let's talk about the spiritual. What about God? What does he do? I want to talk about a kingdom that God grows from the seeds. Church, Jesus wasn't trying to make his disciples nervous about their own salvation. In fact, he says, this truth that I just preached, it's for you and not for them. So actually, there's no nervousness about this truth. So what is the response that Jesus is looking for from his disciples? What knowledge is he trying to give them? What is he trying to reveal? What do you think he wants them to leave with? Do you think he wants them to leave with soil anxiety? Being worried about what soil they're in? Or being worried about how many people they can get to come to Jesus? See, through this parable, Jesus is declaring this. This is the point of the seed and the sower. The kingdom of heaven is a personal message, not a national one. <clears throat> it's not about Israel. It's about God's people. It's about challenging individual hearts wherever they are to repent and believe. The kingdom doesn't sprout from a nation, but from individual seeds. And unfortunately for us, fortunately for God, the results of those seeds are out of our hands. So I want to talk about automatic seeds. If you go further down in verses 26 to 28, Jesus gives a little bit more clarification about who is responsible for these growing seeds in the good soil. Mark chapter, uh, Mark chapter 4, 26 to 28, and he said the kingdom of God, this is the same ch chapter, it's about the same parable, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seeds on the ground. We talked about that last week, how the farmers back then would take these wheat seeds and they would just throw them everywhere indiscriminately, covering as much ground as possible, throwing them around. The kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps 
and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces it by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, this is the word. Right here, look at this. Automatos. That's the word it says by itself. It's the Greek word automat. Obviously, you know what we get from that, right? Automatic. Automated. This is actually an, uh, an obsolete agricultural term that's not used anymore because the agricultural technology has advanced so much. It's the act of relying on the earth to produce all on its own, yielding both the plant and their fruits without the farmer's intervention. He uses this word automatos, which is, like I said, it's an obsolete agricultural term. I'm a little nervous because we got a professional farmer in the back. He knows all this stuff. He's going to be shaking his head. No, yes, I'm a little nervous. So just, you know. <clears throat> this word is only used one other place in the New Testament. Did you know that? It is actually where God opens a gate for Peter so he could escape without man's intervention. It's an act. Let me read it to you. And when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to an iron gate. So they passed by guards. They'd come to an iron gate leading into the city, and it opened for them of its own accord, automatos. It opened automatos. They're using an agricultural word to describe the opening of a gate. An agricultural word that says the seeds grow without a farmer's intervention. That's the only other place this word is used throughout the entire New Testament. And immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Automatos, the human element in sowing kingdom seeds wherever we can, and then we just watch while the crop mysteriously grows and we know not how. We like to predict, we like to think we know how, but we don't because the growth is caused by outside forces out of the farmer's control. Even the best farmer. So that's the idea of automatic seeds. Now I want to talk about the seeds at the cross. So I wanted to give you an illustration or example of this seed in the sower, how it works in a practical manner. So Jesus teaches that there will be a wide range of responses, right? Some don't have any interest in the seed of the gospel. Some hear it and they're excited, but then life gets hard and it's, they get lazy and then they turn their back. And then there's some who accept it, but they love the world more. And then there's the good soil. It's a dramatic, powerful example I'm going to share with you about two seeds in Scripture. And it's the story of the thief on the cross at the crucifixion. Both are thieves. Both deserve execution. And both are given seeds, but one sprouts and the other doesn't. Look at the passage. One of the criminals who were hanged railed against Jesus saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. What's wrong with you, Jesus? Can't you save yourself? Why can't you just go ahead and, and destroy everybody that's trying to kill you? But the other thief, <laughs> the other thief rebukes his fellow dying, crucifying, being executed thief. The other rebukes him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. How does he know that? And he said, Jesus, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me 
in paradise. Two criminals worthy of execution. One is bitter and mocks Jesus, saying, if you're God, why don't you save us? The other is humble. He's called and he's broken. What are you saying? This guy, Jesus, is sinless. We deserve what we're getting. Then the humble thief says, Jesus, please remember me when you come to your kingdom. Wow, how did that happen? They're the exact same position, exact same point in life, which is what? Facing a pretty desperate scenario. This is it. This is the final call. I mean, you would think the stakes are pretty high. If you're a thief on the cross and you're dying and Jesus is right next to you, your thought is, what do I have to lose, right? No, one thief says, I don't believe you, Jesus. You're a fraud. And the other thief says, you're an idiot. This is not a fraud. This is Jesus, and he can save us. Jesus, will you remember me in the kingdom? Faith in a helpless. Get this now. Look at the scene. He has faith in a helpless, naked, scorned, mocked, ridiculed, dying rabbi on a cross to bring him into the kingdom that day. This is a beautiful microcosm of the mystery of the parable of the seed and the sower. You want another example? How about the tragic story of Judas? He was with the disciples and Jesus every day. Everything was revealed to him. All the healing, all the preaching, everything. And Judas says, nah, I like the world better. Soil of thorns. All right, so look at the personal side. I want to talk about comforting seeds. So this is a picture of tons of wheat seeds, in case you haven't figured it out. That's wheat. That's wheat with the seeds. So I know the first question you want me to answer. Pastor Joe, what soil am I? (laughs) Right? I mean, do you ever have constant anxiety over what soil you are? Have you ever done what 14-year-old Pastor Joe used to do? Pray the sinner's prayer repeatedly over and over again every night to make sure I really meant it? Is that just me? Or maybe you have rejected the seeds immediately. They sprouted for a short time, but the cares of the world have choked it out. No doubt some of you are trying to do the math in your head quickly. Searching for relief to this worry. Wait a minute, what? I am the good soil, I hope. And what about sowing seeds in the kingdom? Has that ever caused you anxiety? Afraid you might mess that up? I mean, people's salvation is riding on it, y'all. And then he says at the end, this, this part is really concerning. If you think you're in the good soil and you want to be, then he says if you're in the good soil, you have fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. Does that part scare you? What is this fruit? Is it people you've actually led to Jesus? You got any fruit? What are we going to do with this number? It grows up in the good soil and yields fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. Listen, let me just relieve you of this burden. Creating soil anxiety isn't the point of Jesus' parable. So stop it already. Don't worry, you'll have plenty of opportunity for anxiety in the rest of Mark. (laughs) But that's not what this parable is about. 
Back to my story about be, uh, being a, a young pastor, a young preacher, and feeling the burden of producing fruit. I was trying to sow my seeds with brilliance and cleverness, relying upon the skills of the sower so I could produce lots and lots of fruit. Certainly, I can do 30. 60 is easy. I bet you I can do 100-fold. And every week, innately, humanly speaking, I still carry this burden of growing as many weak stalks as I possibly can. I mean, people, i got to grow this church, you know. Grace life's got to be bigger. I'm just being real with you. I'm being vulnerable. I'm telling you what I struggle with. But what if the definition of fruit isn't about how many weak stalks we grow? What if the fruit isn't about how many people we lead to Christ? What did Jesus mean with this parable? Well, I'll tell you. He meant to paint a beautiful, comforting kingdom picture using the wheat plant as an illustration. See, wheat was a very crucial crop, and it still is today. And the fruit it produces, what kind of fruit does the wheat produce? Seeds that we grind into flour and make all kind of things? Y'all, Jesus is teaching that the fruit, 30, 60, 100-fold, it's simply seeds. Look how many each wheat plant can produce. Tons of seeds to sow. See, fruit isn't how many people believe. That's beyond your control. But the seeds you sow, seeds that naturally grow from good soil, that's the fruit. And what do you do? You throw them indiscriminately anywhere you can. Just throw it here, throw it there. It's simply this. The fruit are the seeds, which is the joy of telling whoever has ears to hear about our Savior and his gospel. God, not us, prepares the soil the hearts of the people who receive the seed. He alone gives the gift of faith in the good soil. And it is such a comfort to know when we spread kingdom seeds, we can do it indiscriminately. Wherever you want. You're fruitful. 30, 60, you're getting seeds all the time, just throwing seeds out. The gospel, just throwing it out. Messages about the kingdom, throw it anywhere, everywhere. Whoever's there, throw it out. Hit them in the head with it. I don't care. Throw the seeds. So let's, let's I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you a little bit of an intellectual exercise here as we close out. I'm going to tie this together with three passages I'm going to read. And I'm not going to give too much commentary. We're almost done here. And I just want to see one of two things. If you have either ears that hear and can put it together or ears that hear that, that want to put it together. Or maybe you just don't care. I don't know. So the first one I referenced earlier is Romans chapter 10, 14 to 15. See if you can figure out where the seeds, the fruit fits into this. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How can the people in the good soil call on him? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching, a seed sower? And how many are they, and, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
Somebody's got to pay for it. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So let's stop for a minute. See if you can see how the parable of the seed and the sower is woven into Romans 10, 14 and 15. Okay. Let's look at the next one. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 to 9. Paul is addressing an argument where somebody say, well, no, uh, my faith is from Apollos. And no, my faith is from Paul. And they're arguing who was the better soul winner, Paul or Apollos. And Paul says, I planted. Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. Automatos. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. How does that fit into the parable of the seed and the sower? And then, after you see those two... Think about this. I want to skip forward one day when we are with Jesus face to face in heaven. This is the scene all the seed sowing culminates in. And it will be, wow, you did all that with our little seeds? And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, seeds scattered everywhere. Every nation, all tribes, people, and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Just think about this for a moment. See, people in good soil, they may not be able to grow any wheat. It's not our job. But we will produce hundreds of seeds. We produce this fruit how? Not just by preaching, but the preachers have to be sent, do they not? So we produce these seeds with our time, with our talent, and certainly with our money. And we're just throwing off seeds left and right that turn into opportunities for people to hear the gospel. Seeds that turn into opportunities for us or others to sow these seeds wherever and whenever we can. And then... I love this part. Then we just sit back and watch in amazement as Jesus just makes our crops grow. You get it? Or at least if you don't get it all the way, did you want to get it? <laughs> Here's the good news. If you got it or you got part of it, or you got a little of it and you want more and you got some questions like the disciples did. Congratulations. This message is for you. And you have ears 
to hear. Heavenly Dad, I want to thank you so much that you give us the opportunity to yield so much fruit. These little seeds, we have no idea what's going to happen to them. We don't know where they're going to land. We don't know what you're going to do with them, what hearts you're going to open. We have no idea, and frankly, I'm thankful that it's not under our control. But I'm so glad you just let us escape soil anxiety and just throw seeds, our fruit, anywhere and everywhere that there might be ears to hear. 